Well, good morning, Olive Branch. It is great to see you guys this morning, as, uh, as usual, and uh, excited about how you guys have responded to the, uh, to the small group launch and our spiritual growth campaign. Justin was like pulling me down and saying, hey man, you got to let everybody know how good things have been going. And uh, Oliver, you guys have responded incredibly. We have uh, over 600 people in small groups right now, and uh, that, that's huge. That is, um, that's, near, that's near, if not close to 100% of our average attendance of adults. Because uh, 12 people, in fact, just walked up and said, I just want to start a group. And they grabbed family members and friends. And uh, so there's been like 12 different kind of just ad hoc groups just suddenly formed real quick. And a couple of the cool things that have gone on is just with this first week, uh, Justin got some reports back. And mainly they all sur- surround kind of the conversation pieces that have been happening uh, uh, Nick and Elise and their, their kind of family home group, that a uh, small group they started, so they said, honestly, the highlight of the night for, for them would have been answering the eight questions that provoked candor. Everyone was responsive, transparent to give deep and thoughtful responses, and it created a, a sense of closeness that really made me feel pleased because it met my expectations for how the study should respond to the theme of the series. And that's exactly what it is. You guys are responding incredibly. You're opening your hearts up. We're talking about, hey, this is where we're at. And uh, we want to become these people who are unsettled in our walk with Christ. Sure, life could be totally cool with you or life could be a mess. But what we want to see is that we're not content with Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to continue talking about. Before we do that, let's just ask God's um, blessing on this time and that we would be open and responsive to him if you join with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to get into your word. Thank you for the chance that we have to really um, ask you to challenge us and shape us in this short time that we have together. And Lord, we know that in this short time, we can only gather information. It's up to us to live it out as we walk away. And so we pray that you just um, go with us and continue to challenge us throughout the week as we learn and as we look for these opportunities to practice the things that we're learning today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Talking with Pastor Kevin, he's our, our missions pastor here at Olive Branch, I was um, having a conversation with him about the message and stuff, and, we, and he referenced an interesting story to me about a time he had a friend, um, many years ago, his friend had given him a phone call, and his, um, it was roughly 20 years ago, his friends were saying, hey, I, I've got a real problem. I am working in an industry in which we go out to dinner regularly, and I, I go out with this guy, these guys, and we sit at these tables, and routinely somebody's bought the wine and they put the wine in front of us. And he's like, and Kevin, honestly, I've just got this major issue. Well, I love wine so much. When I see it, I take a drink. And next thing I know, I'm totally sloshed. I don't have any self-control over this. I don't know what to do. Would you please pray for me? Kevin's like, this is easy. He's like, what are you talking about? It's not easy. This is the worst thing in the world. He's like, no, this is easy. Here's what you do. Do you have a friend who always goes with you to these meetings? He's like, yeah, yeah. He's not a Christian, though. He's like, that's fine. It'll work just fine. Tell that friend of yours that you'll pay him 200 bucks if you take a sip of the wine. In fact, tell him if you take a sip of the wine, you'll pay him 200 bucks, and he gets to pour the drink over your head right at the meeting. And the guy's like, seriously? He's like, yeah, do it. So the guy does. He literally goes to this, this atheist friend of his and says, hey, listen, man, struggling with the wine, you have this opportunity. Um, if I take a sip, you know, I'll give you 200 bucks, and you get to pour it over my head. And he's like, this is a great deal. Okay, I'll go for it. And, and uh, what Kevin told us was this guy has not touched the wine at the table ever since. 
It's been an awesome opportunity. And I thought that was interesting because I would have thought like this guy had been like, this is a chance to get 200 bucks. Hey, man, you want to sip? Come on. You want to sip? You know, but that's not how the guy actually understood. He supported him, defended him, and um, pretty incredible thing. But the question I have about that is I thought it was such an odd, odd story because of how far this guy was willing to go. How far are you willing to go to really uphold your walk with Christ? What are you willing to drop? Who are you willing to invite into your life to challenge you? What are you willing to do that seems so radical or odd or different to call up your opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not satisfied with where I am in Jesus. I want to go further. I want to pull other people in. I need to do this. And that's what we're going to be looking at. How do we go from this sense of settledness? How do we go from this sense of, you know, I'm cool with where I'm with Jesus. I've, I've studied him. I've gone through all this before. I already uh, have my conclusions and my knowledge about this to, you know what, there's more here. For, the, for us as all of branchers, there's, there's a further pace to go. There's a, there's a destination that we haven't come to yet. Jesus keeps on moving. He said, follow me. He didn't say, let's stop here. He said, let's, let's keep moving. How do we get up and keep going? That's what we've been talking about. In fact, Paul's challenge for us, um, as we saw last week, is in the same place. It's in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at that. So grab your Bible if you've got it. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. Grab one from under the seats. And you can join with us right where you are. If you've got it on your device, we're in Philippians chapter 3, 13 through 17, and the Bible under the seats, it's on page 981. And so um, just as a refresher, Paul is, is sitting in a jail into a nasty sewer running underneath his feet. He is living in horrible squalor and conditions um, where he is routinely probably spit at, yelled at, beat or whatever in his imprisonment. And he's writing uh, to the Philippians because he's overjoyed with what they've given to him. They gave him a gift. They've sent a friend. And um, so now he's like, you guys, I want to tell you, keep doing these awesome things. And let me challenge you even further. And now he got into this theme in chapter 3 where he's shoving them forward. He's saying, don't settle on your past. Don't, don't enjoy these things, but move forward. And so this is the theme of, of what we're talking about over the next few weeks. It says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it, meaning Christ Jesus, and knowing Christ Jesus, I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers, join me in imitating me or join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And so there's this very clear picture of you saying, don't settle down, don't get relaxed, strain forward, keep moving, press on, don't back down. And so how do we do this? How do we get unsettled? How do we get from, to a place where we're actually, you know, un, just not satisfied, wholly dissatisfied about our journey with Jesus Christ? And I want to start with this. I'm going to give you three, three ways. We're going to expound on these three ideas, but they're found right here, kind of bouncing off of last week's message. I want to start with this. You, need, and I, you and I need to not let ourselves think we've arrived. Just don't let yourself think that you've got to figure out that you've landed. Hey, I, I know Jesus. I've read this book before. I, I've prayed before. Oh, yeah, I've been a pastor for so many years, and I'm, I'm good. No, 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 no. Let's not consider that we've ever arrived. And what's interesting is that in our current cultural state, one of the most important, one of the things we think about the most in our lives, and it's been shown, is that we think about ourselves. 
In the, in the ancient world, to think well about yourself was considered the greatest danger any human being could enter into. That self, being self-confident, having pride or hubris, as it was called, was a destructive thing in our souls. Today, we, we want people to have good self-esteem. We, oh, you got bad self-esteem. We don't want you to feel bad. We even think about our kids. Oh, is that going to make them feel bad? And this is how we conduct our lives in this conversation about Feeling good, feeling bad is about how I feel. It's about how puffed up my ego is or how bad my ego feels. And it's a lot of dangerous things have come out recently in psychological studies that this just isn't healthy for culture. That the ancients or the people up to the 1800s were right. That hubris and pride is disintegrating. In the church, when we have pride, it looks like I'm a theological maniac. I've got this set. I know what I'm talking about. Get out of my face. Or I've prayed every hour for hours upon hours every day, and you, you don't know how to pray. You know, arrogance and pride is a thing that God says, I'm going to knock you down. If you have pride, it comes just before the fall. Uh, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so all this stuff about pride is found in the Scriptures. And while I can't get into the depth of it, the first challenge is um, for you guys maybe to check this book out. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Timothy Keller. It's an amazing short little book for anybody who's like, I don't like reading. This is an easy one. You can read it. He even has a, he, he can, you can even listen to it. He has a message on it. But the point is simply this, that he wants to talk about the pathway away from self, being overly focused on the self, overly thinking that you've got, you're all that in a bag of chips, or hey, I'm too, you know, two tacos short of a combo plate, whatever you think about yourself, to get to the place where you're walking in true self-forgetfulness, where you're concerned about others, you're concerned about Christ and that journey. And that's really where Paul begins. He says, guys, I don't consider that I've made it my own. Uh, verse 12, he, he even said, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. Later in verse 15, he says, hey, even if you think you're mature, maybe you're of the kind of theology where you think you can be perfect in, as a Christian on this earth, where you can live in a perfect holiness. You know, I'm just going to challenge you not to think you've ever attained it. Paul here basically tells you, let those of us who are mature or perfect think this way, that we're not, that we haven't arrived, is what he's saying. And if anything you think otherwise, God's going to reveal that you're wrong, is what he's basically saying. God's going to steer you back towards the thought that you haven't landed on the perfect walk with Jesus Christ. And so I want to just challenge us to, to start here this morning, to humble ourselves, to say, you know what, maybe I don't have it all figured out. You know, maybe I haven't actually studied this, this religion thing and I really have got it figured out. You know, maybe I haven't quite pressed into Christ deep enough to know that I really have that strong of a relationship. You know, maybe there's more. And that's the beginning. Don't let yourself think that you've arrived. Very simple, but very difficult in a world that wants to tell you, no, you've made it, you're okay, you're such a spiritual person, it's all right. No, no, no. Consider maybe that we haven't made it yet. Consider maybe there's more to journey on. In fact, that'll lead to the next thing, that we would have a singular focus on knowing Christ. This is what Paul goes on. This is the Apostle Paul. He's planting churches all over the place. He's in jail for preaching about Jesus. And he again, verse, he says, guys, I consider, I do not consider that I've made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. He has this singular focus on Christ. In fact, earlier, he says, I make it my aim, verse 10 says, 
to know him and the power of his resurrection. In fact, he'll later say that by any means possible, I may attain him. The, the whole text is about this, this myopic focus on Jesus Christ, this attempt to have nothing else be in the way. You, we all know what this is like. If, 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 you, if you've liked someone else in your life and you've, you've wanted to go towards marriage or you are married, you remember this. At first, there was this stranger that you thought was attractive. It always begins with the stranger you think is attractive or the family friend who's introduced to you and you're like, hi. And suddenly, everything starts to rotate around that person. Isn't that true? You start going to work and your mind starts thinking about them. And you get a phone call and then you start, the relationship starts building. Once you start dating, you're like trying to figure out, you're opening your calendar. You were never a calendar person in the past and now you're looking at your calendar like, when can we hang out? You're calling even though you personally would say you're not very much of a relational person. You find yourself regularly calling. You're at work and your mind's drifting away to them instead of the work that you're working on. You're distracted by this person. You see, that's not how the Christian life works really for us if you've been a Christian for long. What happens is you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I have my quiet time, check. Been to church, check. But has Jesus become a distraction for you at work? Has he become a distraction for you when you're driving on the freeway and you're like, yeah, I wonder if that guy is like having a good day. God, I'm going to pray for that guy. Is, it, is, it, is Jesus a distraction when you're out mowing your lawn and you see your neighbor having a problem and, and something's going on, you know you could, you could engage? Is he suddenly a distraction that you're like, oh, I need to go do what Jesus was doing. I need to know him. I need to live out the same life as him. And you're in the middle of your family and you feel the anger rising. Is Jesus the distraction that suddenly goes like, you know what? I don't think this is how I should do this if I want to impress, you know, I want to impress Jesus. But when you were dating, dude, she or he was a distraction. They changed the way that you acted when you were in public. They changed the way that you talked to your friends. You're, some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about, because you, you start acting so well, and you're, all your friends walk up and go, you are so, you're whipped, man. And for Jesus, have we got that kind of focus where he's our distraction in life? And that's what I really think we need to understand is that this is what Paul is saying. Everything else got out of the way. He's the thing that I kept focusing on. He's the one that I kept coming back to. He's the one that I kept thinking about. He's the one I kept modeling my life after. He's my hero. He's the one I'm aimed at. And so he says something very clearly. Look at verse 13. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward lies ahead, I press on. And so he gives us this model. He says, I'm going to forget about what is behind me. And the picture is really this idea. I've got this nice bulky backpack here, and we're walking through life, and we're carrying our past with us. You know, you've got your childhood in here. Maybe you've got some other events in here. And you're walking along, and I've got these reversed, but we'll say we come along, and oh, man, I meet my wife. I got this picture of meeting my wife. And Oh, that's so awesome. You know, this is such a great event. Make sure I stop, put this back here. I'm going to put it in, shove it in there. Now I've got my wife back there with me because that's a, and she's with me on this journey. In fact, my next stop is here. And oh, now I got to stop. And it's my kids. Okay, so I got a family now. I'm going to turn around and put my family in here. And they're going to do that. And then I walk forward. And it's like, oh, it's my job and my education. And, and I pick that up. And turn around, I start going, the things aren't fitting anymore. There's just, so I'm, I'm just going to carry all this and I'm going to keep moving. 
And eventually, as we move through time, we can just collect a whole bunch of stuff we're carrying. And we will. That's not a problem. You're going to pick up things. But what Paul is saying is that if you don't realize that, that this stuff can be a distraction, this stuff can hold you back, imagine how heavy this is, and you're trying to journey forward on a very long trek. Eventually, your arms are going to get tired. Eventually, your back is going to wear out. Eventually, your shoulders are going to get so just worn. You're just like, I got to put this stuff down. And all of this gives you an indication of what Paul's talking about. You see, when you're carrying your past with you, and you're constantly remembering your past, and you're, you've got a journey you're going on, and you go, you know what? Oh, I want to stop for a second. And I want to I remember my, my education here. I'm just going to look at it. That's a lot of reading. I better read through all that. How long am I going to sit here? How often can I pull out the pictures of my kids? And, and I remember when they were this little... And I remember how cute they were, and, and oh, I wish they were that way. In fact, I'm going to keep treating them that way. And um, oh, I remember when we were this thin, and I remember how we, oh, it's, this is, it's all kinds of problems with looking back to the past. Hey, let me give you three. When we focus on the past, you can get stuck there. How many of you have told your kids, oh, I hope you enjoy high school. It was the best years of, your li- of my life. Yikes. Man, if those were the best years of your life, you're not living for much. It's a long time ahead of you. Man, oh, you remember the good old days? How many guys sit around talking about their football careers that they had? And they're sitting there drinking their beers. They don't get exercise anymore. They're not doing anything about football. They remember, oh, back when. And all you hear from them is the past. In fact, it's been said, when when your memories outweigh your dreams, the end is near. That's true. We can end up carrying our past, walking around remembering things, and we're stuck back there. Some of you have, have stuff in your, in your backpack that you would never want to pull out. So painful, so ugly, and yet if it was true and you were to look at yourself, how often you're actually just sitting there like Golem looking at it, staring at it. You can't let it go. You dwell in your pain. You're reminded of it constantly. Now, when I'm looking back, I'm not moving forward. I've stopped. I'm examining. I'm focused on my past. And so the second danger is that you can get so focused on your past, the progress has stopped because you've got to maintain these things. I mean, imagine for a second if I tried to maintain the way that I looked when I first got married at 25. I'd be like, you know what, I need, to, I need to constantly be focused on losing weight. I need to constantly be focused on getting, you know, filling up the bald spot that's showing up on my head. I mean, some people have gotten so focused on maintaining their past, they're, they're willing to pour out money to get their body back the way that it looked. They're willing to pour out all kinds of attention to these kind of things. Some of us, it's about how much money we used to have. Oh, we used to have this business that was huge, and we had this money, and it was huge, and you've just been running after your past to have it again. Because something back there took it, or something back there removed it. It doesn't matter. The past oftentimes leads to maintenance of your past. And if that's the case, you're stuck. You're faced the wrong direction. Paul says, no, have a singular focus on Christ. Put the past behind you. Press 
on forward to Jesus Christ. A third one is that when you're so focused on your past, you're more vulnerable in the present. Um, Jared, our youth pastor, was telling us about a, 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 a kind of an illustration that he used with cups, and he had these three cups lying out, and under them was like a nail or something like that, and, and it would kind of sit upright, and it was a spike, and so these kids would have their hands, and he would hold their hand, and he'd say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Do you trust me? And there's these three, and he'd mix the cups up, and he'd take his hand, and he says, do you trust me? And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your hand, I'm going to crush a cup. If I'm wrong, that spike's going to go through your hand. There's like four cups there, and they're sitting there, and, and the kid's like, okay. And the first one, he smashes, nothing's there. And the kid's like, okay. You know, you can feel him slightly trembling in his hand. Well, what he had done is then the first row in the, in the, in the youth group, Den's job, was while this kid's now so focused on whether his hand's going to get destroyed, their job was just to do weird, funky things with like cards and stuff right there to try to get his attention. But he's so focused on it, he doesn't pay attention to what's going on out in the crowd. And so suddenly, boom, another one. And now the focus is so intense, there's only two cups left. Which one's going to hurt me? How does he, what's going to happen? And you're so freaking, now the whole group is messing around, not paying attention, holding stuff up, flinging things in the air, all kinds of stuff. And the guy's just so focused, he never noticed. We can get so focused on the fear of the pain of the past, of the things that have happened to us, of all the junk that we've collected. And when Satan starts to mess with your life, you're not aware that you're being tempted and you fall into sin. You're unaware God wants to do something great and you miss an opportunity. Sometimes we can be so focused on the past, we're ignoring everything else around us. And if you find yourself locked into your past, you find yourself so painful, so destructive, you need to get help and you need to get some counseling. You need to get some aid. Otherwise, it's going to consume you. But some of us, it may not be big things like that, but we can put our past behind us. Paul says, let it go. And here's how. If it's some painful thing that you have had done to you, your route forward must be learning to let go of others' harm by forgiving. You have to learn the art of forgiveness. If we don't learn how to forgive, we will grip and hold on to our past in ways that will destroy us. In the book of Luke, Jesus is explaining and starts a teaching on forgiveness. And he says, I want you to pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. You know, if you notice your, your buddy in, who's a Christian also sins, notice a brother, not your non-Christian co-worker, each other in the church, if one of us sins, pay, pay attention, rebuke him. Say, hey, don't do that. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This is pretty egregious. I mean, a guy sins against you seven times does something, but he repents. You forgive him. Jesus is saying you need to always have a heart condition of forgiveness. You need to always be ready with forgiveness because you and I have been forgiven of so much. We can't hang on to the past. We have to literally be able to let it go so that if somebody finally repents, you can give them the forgiveness. Now, that doesn't mean they'll always repent, and you will never always extend that forgiveness, but in your heart, you release them to God. You allow Him to handle them. He's the judge. He deals with it, and you can move forward, but you have to wrestle it down. Go to God and deal with the forgiveness. Move. The next thing, though, is that, hey, so you can let go of others' harm by forgiving, but let go of your wrong by repenting. If you've sinned seven times, repent seven times. Jesus put it this way. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to be ready to confess. We need to be ready to bring out our problems. Husbands and wives, best to eat, learn how to eat crow, okay? Salt it, pepper it, put some Cajun on it. I don't know, but you got to learn how to eat crow well. Any of us dealing with each other in church need to learn how to eat crow well. We need to be willing to hear and respond, to say we're sorry, to explain why we did what we did without excuse so that we can make it right. Too many of us are carrying around our, oh, I've hurt these people and this person, da, 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 and we're just, we, we got to realize I'm scared to go tell them I'm sorry. But once you've released it, you're done. If they forgive you, that's up to them. But now knowing that Christ has forgiven you and you've made it right, you can move forward. So deal with your wrongs in the past. If somebody has wronged you, go to them and deal with it. Jesus has all kinds of ways. Just read Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He'll give you a complete diagram and direction on how to deal when, when people are against you or, you're against, or you've got a problem with somebody so that we can move forward. But that's the way we let go of our past. It's through forgiveness and repentance. We've got to set it aside. But what do you do if somebody keeps reminding you, constantly brings it back up to your face? Maybe, you, maybe you're in a situation where actions in your family constantly brings back a problem. One of the things I've done in my life in order, not, in order to fight off the, the insidiousness of pornography in this world and, in, and that has erupted in my own personal life is I, I have filters on everything I own and I have a code that my wife keeps, whether it's for Netflix or our, or our computer or anything else, uh, any device in our home. And so it's really hard when my children go, Dad, why don't you have the code? So you can open this. And I have to go like, well, um, are you ready for this conversation? But it constantly reminds me, you're a mess if you can't handle this stuff. And I've been told that by people. So if you want to write that email, I've already heard it. Thank you. But the, uh, the reality is I know I'm a mess. It's how we respond to when we're reminded that we're a mess that's the difference. If it makes you turn back and start groveling over your past and how messed up you are, you will sin again and mess up because you're so focused on it. Let it instead be a reminder to you that when you get up, that I need more of Christ because that's why we need him. We don't go to Jesus in our own goodness. We go in our own mess and his goodness. And so let the reminders refuel you to, yes, that's why I need him even more than I've ever needed him before, every day even more. And that's the goal. So even if it's constantly a reminder in your life, move forward. Now, goes on to tell us there's even other things of our, than just our past that we should let go of. We're going to press on and focus on Christ. And that is we need to practice recalling the great things God has done for us. We don't want to forget the past in the sense that, oh, my past, I don't even think about that anymore. No, learn from it. Re remember that God gave us the Bible. Now, the Bible, as far as I can tell, the majority of it is all about what? The past. In fact, the spiritual discipline given to you and me in the Bible with the Passover and what we just did at communion is called remembrance. Remember what Christ did for you. Remember what God did at the Exodus. Remember what he did and the promise he gave David and Abraham. Remember, remember, it tells us. And Paul says, forget the past. No, no, no. What he's saying is, let go of all the, the pain and the successes, but, rem but focus on God. 
So what are we supposed to remember? Remember the things that God has done for you. Do you regularly practice thankfulness? Do you stop at some point in your week and list out the thanks for what God has given you? What a great discipline so that even the good in your life turns to the focus of Christ. You see how he's the distraction? Everything turns to him. And so we keep doing. I'll give you another practice that I'm picking up. It comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, all these great examples for us in the Bible and in church history, let us also lay aside these weights and every sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And this is this picture that you and I need to do. We need to press forward. We need to enjoy knowing that we've got to drop even distractions. Notice it says, let us lay aside every weight. Those aren't sins, but they are distractions. They hold us back. And so we want to drop the distractions as well as the sins. So the way you do that is you practice fasting. Guys, gone is fasting. I haven't heard of Christians in the Protestant church or in Olive Branch going like, yeah, we regularly practice fasting. But you know what? In our culture, we are an entertained group of people. We are so distracted. I wonder sometimes if ADHD in in me has been born more out of the fact that there was so much inputs all the time. I could watch TV, and I could read a book, and I could play a video game, and I could do this, and I could never just sit and focus. I don't know. But the bottom line line is we're a very distractible culture. Man, that movie's out, and I can get it for cheap. I'm going to watch it. Man, I, how many times do you sit at your screen and you don't even realize you're doing it until your husband or your wife goes, <clears throat> you're like, oh yeah, I was talking to you. You know, that kind of a thing. The reality is we can be so distracted by these things. My question to you is what's distracting you from your walk with Christ? And, may, and I want to challenge you, not maybe, do this in this series, fast it. What does fasting mean? It means you set it aside and prove to yourself you can live without it. It may be an app on your phone that you need to put aside and you can live without. It may be a food that has overwhelmed your life and you, you run to it in your comfort and, and you set it aside. Note that fasting just doesn't happen by laying only aside. It always is associated with prayer. You set something aside so that you can have more of God. You are literally telling God, I want you more than I want this food. I want you more than I want this technology. I want you more than I want this time. I want you more than I want this desire. And so you literally crumble up that thing and you set it aside for a time to show yourself you don't need it. I want to challenge you to think about what is it that you need to fast. We all have them. And as we learn to lay aside things that even aren't sin but are distractions, We can press on even further. We can keep going. But then also we need to drop sin. He says, let go of the sin that so easily clings. And this is the idea. How do you do that? In a a book called The Imitation of Christ, he he talks about this very clearly. Thomas Akempis says, let temptation be God's call to being closer to him. You know, temptation is this urge to do something sinful and wrong. But the only way that you and I can beat temptation is not to just muster up self-control, which in human beings is finite, but to seek God for his infinite self-control. To suddenly go, God, I'm being tempted. Oh, wake up call. I need you more right now than I've ever needed you because I'm not going to beat this on my own. And it should be every temptation, every bad thought, every opportunity should be a quick reminder that I need God. 
This is an opportunity for me to go further. This is an opportunity for me to press in. This is an opportunity for me to launch into prayer, to, to start singing a worship song, to care about somebody, to evangelize. Whatever it is that God's leading you to, let temptation become that which calls you away from sin, but towards the Lord. Hard to do, but a great discipline as you learn to practice it, and if it gears into your life, is a powerful, powerful antidote to a lot of temptation. Now, these are just some ways to keep your focus on Christ, to keep, our, keep us going. First, remember, we've never attained this, and we want to keep pressing on and, and, because we want to have this singular focus. So that's where we last, is press on every day together. Press on every day together, not by yourself, not, not just kind of wimp forward. No, this is pressing on. This is pushing in. This is motivating yourself. Notice in verse 13, he says, straining forward. How many of you guys have seen the movie The 33 about the, uh, the 33 miners in South America? If you haven't seen it, there's a great scene in it, um, and it's right at the beginning, so I'm not spoiling anything, but this, they're down in this bottom of this mine. It's taken hundreds of years, 100 plus years to get this far into the earth. They're mining out gold, and they've all gone down there, and there's suddenly this massive collapse of the mine. As the mine is collapsing, there's this young Peruvian guy, day one of his jobs, just shows up. He's like, hey, welcome, you know, and the whole mine's collapsing around him. This this car is driving away. This truck is driving away from him to get away from the collapse. And the Peruvian guy's like running. The walls are falling in behind him. And he's running as hard as he can. And the picture is him doing this, straining. And the guys are like, come on, come on. They're straining to grab him on. But the car is moving fast and he's having to run and everything's collapsing. That's the picture of the Christian life. Christ is there going, come on, it's safe. I've got you. You will make it on here. Come on. And the world around us is crumbling behind us, swallow, trying to swallow us whole, and you must strain and press on to that goal, to that call. Don't give up. You haven't made it yet. You woke up. The world's still crumbling. Amen, right now, right? Some of us feel that more than others. You, God gave you another day to run. God gave you another day to press. God gave you another day to reach and strain. It, it, this, is, this is huge. You see, in Hebrews chapter 1, we just read it. He throws off all these encumbrances and sin and then run with endurance after you've laid aside all the things that hold you down. The endurance is still there. Once you've laid all the other stuff aside, you still have to press forward, to press on in knowing the Lord. And so... Let God's promise then be the thing that gives you grit. It's what gave Jesus grit, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and, seated at the right, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, for the promise that he had, that's what gave him the grit to press forward. Some of you guys just need some holy grit in your life. And get yourself to muster up some energy from the Lord to get up and start moving again. So you want to press on every day. Let God's promise give you that grit. Let it be out there. The promise is huge. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. This is the picture. I talked about the three enemies last week. It's like a current pushing you that way. In the meantime, the wind of the Spirit of God is blowing you towards the Lord. Just open the sails and start pushing forward because everything God has given you energizes you towards Christ. 
If you try to do it on your own and lower the sails, there is no wind that's going to push you. You're going to be pulled by the current. You have to open yourself to driving after Christ and know his promises. He is with you. He is pressing you. In fact, the one, look at the end of this, he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Yes, this world can take us down, and you may feel like a failure all the time, but the God who is in you can overcome sin. The God who is in you can overcome these things that hold you down. Lay them aside by his power. Get up and let him press you forward, because this is your destiny. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. One day you will get onto that truck. One day you will be transformed into the image of Christ. This is what drives us. We have this guaranteed hope. We're not going, I hope I make it. No, you know you'll make it. You just got to keep pushing because you're going to make it. To think any other way is to know you're not. But you are going to make it. You're promised it by God. That should give you the grit. Oh, everything else is falling apart. Though you feel like you want to give up. Though all the pain is seeping out of your backpack. You're going, you know what? God has promised me one day this is over and done. And I will walk in a world where I will have forgiveness. There will be no sin. And his love will reign in my heart. I'm going to press on. And so you need to do that. Now, some of you guys are going, but I've been doing this so long. I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. Well, I want to give you just a little recommendation. Measure your, measure your progress in larger chunks. Do it in quarters or years, not days. Confess daily, but have someone in your life, and I hope you have someone in your life who knows you well enough to say, you know what? You, you grew this year. Ask somebody. Have you seen any change in me in the last year? And oftentimes those people who are in your life will be able to say, man, I've seen you. You were like this, and now you're like this. Oftentimes it's those infrequent people. Like when, like we have friends who have come out, and they saw my daughter this year. They hadn't seen her in like a year. And they're like, what in the world happened? Because she grew like from here to here in like a year. And I'm like, whoa, there's a little woman in front of me. What happened here? Same thing can be true of people who knew you here and they meet you here. They come in and they go, whoa, what happened? Listen to those people. They can help you measure better than a day-to-day-to-day-to-day-to-day measurement. Because you go up sometimes, you go way down sometimes. It's just this. So make sure you, you, you kind of look at larger chunks. And finally, don't do it alone. Press on with others. As Paul says in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Who are you walking with? Because those you're walking with and the ones you got your eyes on are what you're going to end up like. If you're walking with hungry Christians who long for Jesus, you're going to hunger. That's why it's great to be around young, brand new Christians. They are on fire to know God and it relights a fire in you. And you're like, oh, I want, yeah, I'm going to know God like that. And they challenge you and press you. You know, you don't want to hang out with stale, moldy Christians, guys, right? Stale, moldy Christians, they're, they're bummers. They're like, yeah, I've tried praying before. Never works. And I, I hate that I've said that. I'm just like, gosh. Because you talk to a young Christian, you're like, I love praying. You're like, yeah, man, I do too. You know, I'm going to get in this with you. Who are you watching? Who is modeling for you? Because there should be someone in your life who's a mentor modeling you. I don't know where to get a mentor. Be a mentor first then. Just pour out what you've got. If you find a mentor, just as a side note, they don't watch over you. Okay, there's a very bad strain amongst younger, the, the younger generation like mine that thinks, I found a mentor. I'm upset with my mentor. He won't call me every day. 
That's not how it works. You call your mentor. Your mentor doesn't think about you. Your mentor is not like, oh, come on, I've got to change your diaper. Come on. You know, that's not a mentor. That's a parent. Mentors do their life. You watch them follow after them and ask them questions and they respond. Occasionally a mentor may look back and say, how are you doing? But most of the time, that's after a long journey with that mentor where you've engaged with them. Engage with the mentor. Don't expect the mentor to engage with you. And the best way to do this is through your small groups. If you want some other, somebody else to press on with you, publish your plan to grow. Make it public to them so they can hold you accountable. That's basically some simple things to begin to unsettle ourselves, get ourselves moving on, to set aside our past, press on, have a singular focus, and keep moving. And so what I want to do now is I want to challenge us. And perhaps what God wants to do is begin this journey with us. When we identified ourselves, now it's time to move forward. And really, I want to challenge you with a picture of my barbecue. Say, what? I got a new barbecue that sits in my backyard and... What I find fascinating is I press this little button, and this little button, suddenly you hear this, and it sends a tiniest little spark. Like you have to be really looking at it to see it. What's crazy about that is that this gas is permeated when the gas is on. And when you hit that little button, it ignites this gas. That little fire becomes a big fire. And maybe some of you this morning are sitting here going, Greg, I, I don't even know how to strive for it. I'm so stuck in the pain. I'm still here. You said that past stuff. It's, it's rocked me. I don't know where to even begin. I'm so dry and tired. I've been doing this for so long. I feel like I'm such a failure. How can I want more of Jesus? I don't even know where to start. This is where we start. You just press the little button. Because the simple prayer, God, I want more of you, is where it starts. Just that simple desire fueled by the Holy Spirit, can turn into a raging fire of pressing on. Moses simply said, God, can I see your glory? And God said, not all of it, but I'll give you more. Maybe that's where we begin. Dan's going to play, and we're going to just start with our hearts. And I want you to begin to seek out God. And if you need to say that, then maybe you come forward and you kneel. Maybe you get up here in this front. I know we're not the most demonstrative church. I get it. We're like, I am a white guy. This is the wrong kind of church. No, I'm going to ask you to drop all that for a minute. If God prompts you and he's saying, come, let go. You want more of me, just get up here and kneel. And say, God, I want more of you. Fill me. Move me. I don't think this church is going to move until we're willing to get to that place. We're ready to say, God, I got nothing but this little spark. So let's start there. Would you bow your heads with me? God, prompt us. Move us. We've got nothing but this little spark. Fan it into a faint flame, we pray in Jesus' name.